I get that was <laughs> almost a visual nightmare. There's nothing really to see. Uh, uh, so, sorry. That might have been a stupid time. Jacob, um, when eh. did you first see Legend? <laughs> it happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, as far as Legend goes, I mean, as I never really watched the trailers. I, I mean, I always watched it as a kid when it was on TV, like, you know, during Thanksgiving or something like that. And, you know, of course, it was one of the most appealing things just because, you know, a young Tom Cruise, that was a cool thing. And then finding out that Darkness, the, basically the, the fucking devil, yeah. you know, was Tim Curry. Um, oh. For me, it was, uh, we were on a field trip, and I think we were at a museum, and as we were coming down, no, I don't know where, we were down at the embassy, this big performing arts center in Fort Wayne, uh, and as we were coming down the stairs, after some, I don't know what it was, but someone had said the lights had looked like they had seen in the movie Legend, and I was like, what's Legend? They're like, you haven't seen Legend? I was like, no, I've never even heard of it. Oh my god, it's the movie based on Legend of Zelda. Seriously, it's amazing. You have to see this. I'm like, they made a movie about Legend of Zelda? And it's like, yeah. And I watched it and I go, this movie isn't about Legend of Zelda. <laughs> I don't know where you got that. I can kind of see a few similarities, well, but no. There are definitely some similarities. That Actually, holy shit. That, that, you, think Legend, you think Legend of Zelda kind of got the idea from the movie? Like, holy fuck. Oh, no. Well, okay, here's the thing. I feel mind-fucked right now. Uh, when, let's look up the release date of Legend of Zelda, because I don't think it's possible. Video games take a long time to develop. Maybe not as long back then, maybe six months to a year. Um, but still, uh, they would have had to have seen pre-production on this in order to develop it, I think. I'm, I'm trying to find the release date of it. Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I want to say it was like Budweiser. early 80s, nope. 84. No. Uh, Legend of Zelda came out February 21st in 1986, and the movie um, came out in England for Christmas 85 in April in America. So I, I don't see it happening, unless they had somehow seen reproduction in England for a Japanese company. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's just pure coincidence for, on both Pinewood parts. Pinewood Studios. Yeah. yeah, Pinewood Studios, that's where it was filmed, too. Oh, my God, it was such a fantastic set to think they built that huge set. The thing that like, oh, you actually burnt thought... down. 
I know, and it lost. They lost a lot of the footage too, like the fairy dance. Yeah, like, it, Legend is a mess. Yeah, because if you notice, like I'm gonna have the balls to say it right now. Legend is a fucking part of it. Is like you said, they lost a lot of footage. There's fighting with the studios. Two totally different versions. We have the director's cut with a uh, um, Jerry Goldsmith score, um, and the theatrical release of Tangerine Dream score, which I can't stand. I hate that score, even though I like Tangerine on their own. Um, tons ah. of footage is lost, <laughs> but even the director's cut still I have trouble with because I feel like a lot of it doesn't make any sense um, or it's unnecessary. Right. I, well, I, I uh, the singing by Mia Sara, I was like, does that really need to be there? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't. I, I didn't really care for it. But they did establish the fact that she is an actual princess because in the regular movie, it's just, you know, she's just some, like, rich girl. She's just, well, I mean, you can tell she's a princess, but they don't actually say it or confirm it. You, you know, she's girl. just a rich girl. <laughs> and you're going too far because you know it don't matter. Anyway, oh, you touched oh, a fucking oh. unicorn. You weren't fucking supposed to. <laughs> God damn it, man, Sarah. God damn it, Ferris Bueller's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think this is before Ferris Bueller. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was only like 15 or 16 when she did that. But I like the concept uh, of coming up with, you know, characters like Darkness and Blick the Goblin. Yeah. Uh, Darkness, he wanted to... Um, Basically, the whole setup of the story of Legend, he kind of wanted to do some kind of Beauty and the Beast thing, but really just twist it around. Yeah, it's dark fantasy. It it's it's not so much sword and sorcery, even though a lot of people think it is. I think it's more like you, you said, like a dark, um, grim tale. No, I don't, who wrote Beauty and the Beast anyway? The original tale, do you know? I want to say it was probably by, it was probably by, uh, by Germans or the French. Um, mm. I should look that up instead of just mm. nonchalantly saying it. But sometimes looking up stuff kind of slows that show down. But um, something about it feels different. It doesn't feel like Conan. It doesn't feel like Pulp is what I'm saying. I guess a lot of these feel like uh, no, no. they're Conan hybrids or Call the Conqueror, you know, they, based on Robert E. Howard's writing. Whereas this feels more international writing. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, you know, everybody has like English accent and then there's Tom Cruise with no accent at all. There's some, <laughs> lo some boy hanging out in the forest living off that. Talking I'm to tell animals. You this, though, I think he's amazing in the movie. I love Tom Cruise. I I do too. I mean, he actually he's a great. I'm not going to deny it. He is a great actor. He has a lot of talent. Like if I were to have, if I were to pick his career over someone like Brad Pitt or uh, someone else in that caliber, I would pick Tom Cruise. Yeah, and I've been able to separate whatever it is you know, that's going on in his personal life. You know, personal and professional, two wildly different. I still love Mel Gibson, even though I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Tom Cruise, like, fuck you, Mel Gibson. And, uh, and he's exactly. really savvy. This is very early on. Um, it's weird. There's a huge gap in his filmography where he did Risky Business and All the Right Moves. Uh, two well-received um, critical hits financially. And, and, you know, they kind of boosted him up. And then all of a sudden he disappears for three years. Um, and then he does this in Top Gun and Color of Money in 1986. If he didn't have those two other movies, I think Legend probably would have buried him because critics hate this and it bombed. Oh, gosh. Honestly, I, I prefer, like, some of the stuff from the director's cut, but I did like the Chandrine Dream score. That I did like. I thought it was, like, wonderful. I thought it was wonderful music. However, you said you hated it. I mean, I liked the solo, soothing, you know, intro at the beginning. Yeah. And then, like, during the... I think the kitchen scene is one of my favorite scores because it's, like, very fast-paced, very, like, um, very tense. You know, it's there is a sense of urgency in it. Like, they have to hurry up and get this done. Otherwise, the whole world's going to end. They're, ugh. They killed all the unicorns. Who wants to kill unicorns? That's the evilest fucking thing ever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this takes place in Scotland because, you know, the national animal of uh, Scotland is a unicorn. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> you know, the one thing about this movie is they talk about how the last unicorn will be killed and then it'll fall into darkness. Um, yeah. Well, eventually that unicorn's going to die anyway, right? 
going to die of old age. Um, mm, uh, maybe. They are At the end of the movie, isn't there two unicorns? Am I wrong in thinking that it ends, unicorn meets another unicorn? No, there, there's two unicorns. One just had his horn cut off, but it was restored after putting the horn back on. Ah, but I'm saying... And, they have, but, and I'm pretty but, sure they had babies. Okay, okay. So in this fantasy, this is not supposed to be our world, correct? This is supposed to be... Um, like a, just a totally different, really different universe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, shit. You think about it, you, uh, uh, um, just the look of it itself makes you feel like you're in another world. Again, I cannot get over how fantastic this set was. Oh, my God. It looks amazing. I'll say that. Just some of the stuff doesn't make any sense. Um, there Pine is one serious. scene. And then you had... Go ahead. I know. Yeah, there was that. There was the whole forest area. And then there was, like, you know, going underground into, like, the depths of hell. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. I forgot how much of this movie was set in the dungeons. I was like, oh, this is like 50% of the movie is set down here. It's really a really dark, murky, even though it looks to me, uh, really Scott really just dives into what would hell look like. Oh, oh, gross. Yeah, I know. And then you get to see, like, you know, the butchers in the uh, kitchen, you know, cu- cutting people up, you know, Ugh. turning them into pies. Is this movie and then you get the rest R? of the supporting. There's moments where it seems like it's R-rated. Yeah, I mean there was no nudity, but still. No, I mean it's However, not like the scene in Conan the Barbarian where there's oh there's a head in the soup, gross. Oh I know, and then you you see Sandal Bergman's breasts, which <laughs> are nice. Don't get me wrong. And then also, let's see, yeah you've got that, you've got this dark wall, you got that in the director's cut you see that freaky chair that he wants her to sit down in. Uh-huh. I'm like if she sits in that chair, is it like gonna absorb her or? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what was going on with that either. Give her, put on mind control. It was, you know, like some of those scenes were fantastic. And Tim Curry was just so fucking menacing and scary as shit. He is like, the biggest selling uh, really point of this. Really, Scott, I don't doubt that. No, I mean, look at him on the box cover. He, like, overshadows everything. On the uh, album cover by Tangerine Dream, it's him holding the globe. Like, he's the main deal. And really, Scott, like, when he was creating him, he wanted to have this, he, he wanted to give him a certain sexiness. Which is there, but it's completely overshadowed by how fucking scary he is with the horns and the teeth and that fucking chin. Yeah, I Jesus. was reading into that, the special effects on him. They had to uh, they had to change the horns because the way they were designed, it was pulling his head so hard that he ended up with like massive neck pain and headaches and stuff like that. So they had to redo it with like really thin fiberglass. And uh, I get, Rob Bottin is just a groundbreaking, and I don't see him mentioned much anymore. Actually, a lot of these effects guys, I only ever see, see uh, KNB. You know, everybody talks about KNB because of Walking Dead. But this is during the era when uh, practical special effects were just breaking ground nonstop. Like, every year something being developed. And Rob Bottin, of course, uh, hit the ground running. Uh, his first film where he was in charge uh, was The Howling. And that was, a, it was oh. one of the first to do the full-on transformation. But, of course, his... Um, yeah, but they... His grand showcase is the thing. You know, that is still his greatest work, and, and he has to be top. Oh, God, yeah. Oh. <laughs> see, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Damn. Ugh. I, I, hopefully there is someone out there who has, like, passed, who he passed the torch on, too. I mean, yeah. you look at the people who've been working on some of these movies with the practical effects, like, um, when they've worked on, like, certain Marvel movies or the, the episode 7, The Force Awakens. Yeah, it does seem like a Hell. lot of the practical effect legend, effects legends that we grew up with had kind of weird. Uh, of course, Stanton sadly passed away. Rick Baker has retired. I haven't heard from Chris Wallace. He lives actually around here, but he basically does art shows, his own stuff. Now he does. He's well known for doing The Fly, of course. Um, oh wow! There's probably a dozen yeah. other names that could pop up here that I feel like they're not getting more good projects. No, sadly not in Hollywood. No. But Which this does right suck. here. I mean, honestly, 
uh, Robo Team, like he was just on uh, a wonderful track. You know, he did this, and then he did Robocop the next year. Uh, Total Recall, a lot of Paul Verhoeven. I love when Paul Verhoeven says the things like Robo Team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Oh God, yeah, Paul Verhoeven. Like when he wanted practical effects, he would go to that guy. Yeah. Oh God, especially Total Recall. My God, like the facial effects when they're you know when they're bulging, losing uh, air, and then they're just their eyes will <laughs> pop out of their sockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, there uh, is a sequence in Legend, though, that I feel almost derails the movie immediately. Uh, well, not immediately, but it's a half hour into the movie, and I want to play this clip real quick because I don't understand exactly what the fuck is going on, why it's so overacted. It's excessive, and I don't understand it. It's the scene right here. Did you not see something odd today? Any strange spirits? Did nothing untoward happen? No. 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 Nothing. Uh, I did take Lily to see the unicorn. You did what? Silence. Oh God, come! She touched him. Touched it. A model laid hands on a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just, just looking at Gump's face. What? I'm sorry. Like, looking at the Gump's face, he's like, <gasps> like, he's ready to kill him. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Touching it, a unicorn is blasphemy. Because... There's a sequence here in a minute where he starts flailing in the snow like a bonkers freak show, like somebody on crack, and I don't know what's going on. By the way, if you uh, notice there was a weird sound in the background, this is Oregon, uh, coast of Oregon. The rain is insane. It'll be completely quiet forever and ever. All of a sudden, it'll just go, bum, 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 and then stop. Stop. So I apologize if you heard the rain in the background. <laughs> It's, it's a beautiful looking sequence, I'll say, with this, but um, seriously, I just don't understand. Strange. It, it, uh, Legend, definitely, like I said, the storyline feels European, but also the way they feels like I'm watching a foreign. Oh, yeah, no, it, it does seem like that. It doesn't seem like it would be a, a U.S. release. However, I, I mean, it, to this day, I still love watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's not Especially, a bad movie, but there's a couple Tim scenes Curry. where I don't understand what is going on or why they chose. Yeah. Mm. Like, and... As I said earlier, like during the making of it, like in the behind the scenes stuff, it showed like a lot of the footage and stuff was burned. Like the fairy dance thing, like they were, um, like you know how it just kind of cuts from like a gump and then back to Jack, and you can see Jack like all sweaty and have snow in his hair and stuff. Yeah. Because there was a, this thing called the fairy dance where they were going to make him dance to death. Uh, you know. Sounds stupid. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was. It was pretty. It was pretty goofy. I will say this as and, much as and I... as far as that part where he just freaks out because you know he wanted to punish Jack, but. You know, you know, but of course Jack was right. He answered the riddle correctly, and that pissed off Gump because he wanted to. He wanted to. He just wanted to. He seems psychotic, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a sequel and he'd be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, um, there is uh, much to be said, of course, about uh, Tim Curry as the darkness. But I gotta say, the thing that thrilled me, that shocked me, and scared me as a, as a kid watching this for the first time is uh, the sea hag or Egg. the sea witch. Oh. Meg Mucklebone. Yeah, thank you. Who's the sudden morsel? Disturbing Meg Mucklebone's rest. 
Wow, that was pretty good. I'm yeah. gonna play a sound clip, but maybe I don't need to. <laughs> Go ahead and do the whole thing now. Uh, I do want to play this real quick, if it's okay. Um, I'm gonna play a couple minutes of hey. the Meg scene, which I'm, and look at the entire when you're watching this. Watch all of the sets he's going on. It's uh, actually astonishing. You think that you're seeing something like you know how this is all stage bound. Just like Labyrinth, it's all on a soundstage. But they found a way to make something yeah. that could have appeared flat. It's so rich it really is in this world. And during this sequence, you can tell uh, from a filmmaking perspective, it's probably in a very small room. But um, it creates something. Uh, here's the... Yeah, I know, her just flapping around, yeah. Oh, you know who plays Meg is Robert Picardo. No shit, really? Robert Picardo? Yeah, no fucking shit, it's Robert Picardo. Wow, that's amazing, I think we've had enough of this, but um, you can see, this is yeah. really where I was I don't convinced want to that Tom Cruise finally like nailed down like how to lose himself in a character. A lot of people remember Tom Cruise the arrogant, cocky guy, and he do that quite often. But um, there's something yeah. so unbelievably different about this performance compared to the way he was in like Top Gun and Color Money and Cocktail and stuff like that. Um, oh, definitely. This would help him later in his career when he had to play more sympathetic characters. Yeah, for sure. I, he, I mean, you know, he's young, he's innocent, he's uh, like a, this humble but fun, you know, child of the forest. Yeah, well, he's also crafty. Like, he's don't, much smarter. He's, he's not just some rube. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, come on, he can talk to animals, he can, you know, communicate with the rest of the, the elves and the dwarves of the forest. Well, I just, and the way that he there is also of conned Meg, you know, into, you know, getting basically getting decapitated. Yeah. And then, uh, what else? Also, the supporting cast, you also got Billy Barty. Oh, who doesn't um, love Billy you know, Barty? You know, like, the number one go-to uh, dwarf actor, or was, before he passed away, vaudeville, vaudeville veteran. Amazing. And... Of course, you got Mia Sarah as Princess Lily, whom Jack is going head over heels for and is pretty much doing all this to save her and, of course, the world. And then, oh, my gosh, what are the other uh, actors' names? Oh, there's Kieran Shaw, who plays uh, Blunder. Start off as a goblin with that big old helmet and yeah, the horns. Yeah, I couldn't stand his character. Uh, I, was, I was a little weirded out. I was like, wait a minute. Was he, like, a bad guy, under a good guy going undercover? Yeah. Was he undercover? I don't understand what he was doing because he was part of that group, and then all of a sudden, nah. It's like, and then it turns out he was bro he was uh, brothers with uh, Brown Tom and Screwball, huh. and then of course there's the fairy. 
Yeah. Have you no sense of humor? <laughs> Adios, amigos. Then he, he spoke Spanish. I'm like, what? Is he from Spain? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, even that. I, and then, of course, there's the, um, what's the, I forget the actress's name. The one who came up with the design of Blix uh, with Ridley Scott. Uh, the one who plays Blix. Oh, Alice. Yeah, who I think also voices Gump. Not Forrest, just... Yeah, she does. But I, but I keep forgetting her name, but her, um, her, like, vocals just really gave, like, you know, Gump and Blix life. Uh, Alice really, Clayton. I think it's really brought up... Yeah, I was right. I fucking knew it. Alice Clayton. I fucking knew it. Damn it. I should go with my guy. <laughs> Rob Picardo. My mind is blown away by that. I can't believe it's Rob Picardo. But it makes sense. I mean, he worked with Rob Bottin before in uh, The Howling. He plays the, you know, the werewolf that you see at the beginning and then comes back at the end. Come on, bread boy. Give me what you got. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, shit. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. I like how... Um, I like how Alice Clayton like came up with the idea of uh, Blix's look. You know, they just that uh, they just pretty much ba- they, they actually said this in the behind the uh, scenes that it should be uh, they based it off of Keith Richards. No, that totally makes sense. You know, just look at it. It's like just getting rid of the pointy nose and the pointy ears. That's fucking Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? That could be Keith Richards at two hundred. Yeah. He's probably gonna look like that by two hundred years old. All he has to do is change out his blood every few years. That's it. And then we'll maybe we'll just put some. You remember in uh, Hot Shots when Lloyd Bridges, he spends the entire movie saying basically everything got replaced? Yeah, my skin is made of asbestos. That's going to be a Keith Richards. <laughs> replace everything. Oh, God, yeah, no, I wouldn't doubt it. He probably will. He's He'll be like crazy an apocalypse. That's how he's staying eternal. He's a mutant, and he just transfers his powers over to someone else. Yes. Oh, so you finally watched Age of Apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I watched it um, two days ago, and we're going to do an episode of Video Night soon about that, because we definitely need to talk about the X-Men franchise. We'll probably do two different episodes, uh, talk about the original trilogy, new trilogy, and then um, maybe we'll do the Wolverine movie when that new one comes out in, what, March? Is it March or April? Yeah, it's March 3rd. Okay. Oh, and when you see Doctor Strange, we have to discuss that. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, we should just talk about Doctor movies. Doctor Giggles, um... Uh, Dr. Detroit. Oh, good shot. <laughs> Dr. Mordred. <laughs> doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. <laughs> and now All you right. have AIDS. Oh, shit. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, Legend is a love story. I mean, like you said, it's a fairy tale. It's a really dark fairy tale. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I, I, we, they probably could have gone without the cannibal stuff. Um, I thought that was kind of unnecessary. The tone of it, it was dark, but it wasn't that dark. And all of a sudden, it just it takes it to a place that feels almost like a horror movie. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Especially like when Tim Curry like gets angry because he won't sit in the chair, and he's just like, "Sit, damn you!" It's like, and then he starts charging towards you, and you're like, "Oh fuck! Oh God! I'd be terrified of that shit." That final sequence when he ramps his horns into the wall to. Uh, to kill Jack. Um, that as a kid, it was terrifying. But sometimes I think about his tactics of fighting. I'm like, no, no, this is not how you fight. Seriously, <laughs> Jack's kicking your ass. I know. Seriously, it's like you're the devil and you're getting your ass kicked by a by a by some boy. just simple boy from <laughs> a little boy. <laughs> oh god. They, they do a lot of voice enhancements on this. I mean, that's not what Tim Curry sounds like. They did some sort of audio trick. Um, but they need somebody, whenever you bury somebody in makeup, you need somebody who's big and theatrical, the way Roddy McDowell did Planet of the Apes, uh, the way that, uh, Ron Perlman does Hellboy, you know, when you're buried in that stuff, you need to enunciate and overact through the makeup. Oh, I know, yeah. And, uh, speaking of Hellboy, Ron Perlman just killed it perfectly, like, nobody else could play Hellboy. Yeah. At all. Um, 
So I think that brings us to the end of Legend. I would say I recommend it, even though sometimes I feel like it's a mess. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, and the makeup is just astonishing. Some of the performances are surprisingly better than I expected. I thought maybe they would date themselves by now, but no, they're still great. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what I what I would say. Especially, and as you as we mentioned, you know, Tom Cruise's performance is like, yeah, this it definitely does uh, set him apart from all his other movies that he's been known for. Well, in most I mean, of the Star Wars movies, have you terrible actors? You just get a guy who's big and strong. As much as I love Beastmaster, and I do like Mark Singh, he's charming, but his range is kind of uh, sword and sorcerer, Lee Horsley isn't selling it. And of course, Arnold didn't know how to act. I don't think until uh, True Lies. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, Terminator, that that's nothing. You know, he just has to be there, just yeah. so monotonous. Well, it's just, more Michael Bean you know, and Linda Hamilton. Big and brutish. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then in the second one. He gets better. But he gets still. better by the time the second one comes around. But I'm just saying, these sword and sorcery movies uh, in the '80s they tend to focus more on what you were instead of the quality of the acting and stuff like that. Like <laughs> I don't want to get started on Deathstalker. That's not even oh, for everybody. Fuck. Um, but I do want to. And then you see the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Well, then by then everything had changed. Everybody respected that kind of thing, and many people love Lord. They start serious. Um, but before we end our conversation on Legend and move on to Labyrinth, I do want to play this clip at the end of Legend. Uh, Tim Curry has his final. <laughs> Assuming this was set up for a scene, somehow Legend or Darkness going to come back for revenge. I don't know how, but I feel like it was set because he's not actually dead, dead. Yeah, it did, although that whole like you know void of of you know the stars and seeing him in space, I'm like, yeah. what is that? Was that like a gateway or a dimension or a yeah. black hole to another to a galaxy or something or what? <laughs> I don't know. I think what happens and, is he goes into it and he splits up and he becomes the Orion logo. <laughs> aha. <laughs> And it's ultimately uh, spells out his own doom. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to go out of business. Also, ah! <laughs> well, well, one more thing, though. Uh, between the difference, the, the difference of the two endings. Okay, so theatrical cut, you know, he saves Lily. The curse is reversed. She's alive. You know, they run away happily ever after while they wave to their fairy friends and the unicorns. And then as it, it, it starts zooming in on the fairy, the forest creatures and Gump, all of a sudden it fades to darkness just, you know, like laughing. With a, you know, like that intent that that clearly sets up sequel. Yeah, yeah. But in the theatrical edition, they didn't show that at all. I mean, the uh, director's cut that didn't show that. Yeah, I think the studio so wanted a sure. sequel, a possibility of a sequel, whereas Ridley Scott's like, well, we're just gonna have to hire somebody else because I'm moving on to something else. Like you guys, you did, you guys don't fucked up now. <laughs> you wankers. You bloody wankers. Um. All right. So let's yeah, talk cult, about like our cult. second movie, Labyrinth. Here we go with the trailer. Star Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets and Dark Crystal. Oh, here you go with a head like this. George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. Oh, 
sources in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. tell you right now this was the first time i ever actually watched the entire movie last night first time ever wow like every time that it was on you only saw like certain bits here and uh, there you never saw it from the beginning about 10 years ago my sister's like how have you not seen this how have we not watch this together i'm like i just have never seen it she goes i love this movie to watch it and i got about halfway through and i said no this isn't my bag this isn't what i'm in and so i never actually finished it and i feel terrible because i watched it last night going holy shit how have i not seen this like really sat down and watched it i was probably distracted um when i first watched oh it. oh my god i know right I'm horrified. I know. I'm horrified myself. First, I was, I was like, afraid. I was astonished. I was petrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I, I want to say something. Before we get into the conversation of the movie, there is a thing at the very beginning of this E, which was a thing during the 80s and early 90s, which every time I heard this sound, I thought of Monster Squad. It's this. Because it was also a TriStar film. Yes, it was originally distributed by TriStar. When they put it on video, here's the weirdest thing: is when they put it on video, um, it was Vestron that had the video. So I don't know why they kept the TriStar logo at the front. But I watched Monster Squad. Probably you're talking triple figures now. I've seen this movie so many times. I know it backwards and forwards. Um, and every time I hear that logo, I just get oh, so sad. Um, so the movie opens up with CGI that I didn't even know existed back then. I mean, we I knew that CGI. I know. We had CGI for Last Starfighter, but I didn't know. I think is this the first organic creature ever created with CGI? Yeah, I mean, you know, as the trailer just mentioned, you know, George Lucas had a hand in creating this movie, so I think at ILM they came up with something different. Uh, you know, because George Lucas really wanted to try something else, so he decided, you know, why not experiment with this movie? So and Pixar, boom, all of a sudden there's Pixar a CGI owl. That owl. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, so yeah, cause before this we had Young Sherlock Holmes, which had a character, but it was made out of stained glass, so it wasn't supposed to be organic. No, the owl isn't competing, but the movements are. Like, they really understood how an owl moves, so yes, uh, if you look really closely at it, you can see, oh, that's early CGI, but it's very impressive. Yeah, for early CGI, that was very impressive. That was probably a huge chunk of the budget right there. And, you know, Jim Henson, you know, creating the Muppets and Dark Crystal, you know, which are... You know, two of my favorite things to watch, especially Dark Crystal. I've never seen I thought Dark it was a highly movie. I've never seen it. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. I've, I've, seen, I've seen bits and pieces, and I'm like, also going, eh, it's not really mine. I don't know why. Dark fantasy. Uh, I like sword and sorcery, but dark fantasy sometimes bothers me, and I don't know why. 
Yeah, I know, because of all the horror, the sadness, you know, because when you see Muppets and, you know, killing, you're just like, ah, what have I done? I'm confused. I'm confused by a puppetry. But I do love Return to Oz. I don't know why. I actually worship that movie. But um, Dark Crystal, never watched, which I will have to watch now because we talk about animation on Back in Tunes. And puppetry, I count as animation. Um, And it's all puppetry. And we're just no human characters at all. Yeah. I know. That's what's, that's, I think, is one of the great things about it. But getting back to Labyrinth, I mean, of course, you know, how it's starting off, you know, you think it already is set in like a mystical land, you know, with Sarah, you know, Jennifer Connelly, freaking Jennifer Connelly of all actresses, starting off, you know, you know, all, you know, cute, teen, cheek faced and adorable and her little princess gown, just out there talking to an owl, you know, giving up this little speech. Then she pulls out a book and I'm like, oh, wait, what? Then it, you realize that at the clock tower, when you see your dog in the clock tower go off, it's like, oh, shit, it's in the real world. She just likes to pretend. That's awesome. She's yeah. a girl with imagination. I was confused because I thought this was set in modern times, you know, 1986. And I was like, wait, did I have this wrong? Is this a different movie than what I was thinking? And I, I didn't realize it was set in old th- Oh, never mind. Got, it got pulled. <laughs> Which that's what this movie yeah, is know. about. This movie is constantly changing what you see. Yes, I know. It just really kind of keeps you on your toes. It's... Plus, with the imagination of uh, Jim Henson, George Lucas, and, of course, Terry Jones, who's, like, one of the writers, you know, of Monty Python. Yeah. Well, then you have Brian oh, Proud as the designer, who's an amazing artist. He creates things I've never seen. So wonderful. Oh, my gosh. I know. Just, like, from the character design of, like, you know, something like Hoggle, Sir Didymus, Bluto. Who she calls Goblin Hogwarts. Knight. Do you remember that when she calls him Hogwarts? Yeah, she does call him Hogwarts. I'm like, oh, my God, J.K. Rowling, this is where you got your idea. I knew it. <laughs> um... I will say this. I watched the first 15 minutes of this when I was a kid, and I remember my grandmother coming in and seeing how dark it was. And she's like, now turn that off. She did the same thing with Return to Oz, and I think the guys when we were kids, Poltergeist might be the only thing that she had oh, like oh, solid oh. ground. She didn't want us to see anything scary that would make us stress, so she made us turn it off. I remember this now because I saw the creatures uh, in the claws, and she nope, too dark. Oh, yeah. That's him. She's going to send. Oh, my God. I thought <laughs> there's still scenes from that movie that still make me laugh. Like, you know, when she sends, like, Goblin King, Goblin King, take this child far away from me. And they're like, no, that's not the word. Why did she learn that rubbish? It doesn't even start with I wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all Terry Jones. I, you know that's Terry Jones right there. I thought this movie was actually really fun. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, him being a writer, it's like, you know, they'd throw in some twists and turns there. You know, wouldn't make it so obvious. Yeah. But yet, the, the, but something to take the kid away was just a simple line. It's like, I wish the goblins would come and take you away right now. And then, boom, that's it. It's gone. I wonder if they have rules and like then, that for Candyman. Like, no, you ha- you can't say Candy Man. Y'all have to go Candyman. Candyman came in. Candyman. Candyman. What is he gonna do? When can't he sing it like that. <laughs> it's like you can't sing it like that. Otherwise, he's not gonna come. God damn it, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and, and, I I will say this. I think Jennifer Connelly is actually terrible in the first uh, ha- uh, part of this movie. Before she gets into the labyrinth world, I thought she was awful. And I was like, she's a much better actress later in life. Um, but then all of a sudden, once she gets to this world, for some reason, she must have got like talked to by Jim Henson. Like, oh, you got to be a little more natural. First off, you're irritating everybody. And two, we're not believing any of it. Um, I, I heard that Sarah Jessica Parker was second runner-up for this role. And, and that kind of makes sense. I can kind of see. Yeah, I could actually. But I know. But, well, the thing is, at the beginning, you know, Sarah, she doesn't really seem likable. She's just like, you know, kind of a misunderstood but somewhat spoiled teen. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. My gosh, she's got to throw a temper tantrum over everything. Yeah, I thought she Then was... again, you kind of see her fight, you know, <laughs> especially like with her dad. Like, we just put Toby to bed, you know. He didn't, you know, she feels kind of like neglected by her parents, by her dad and her stepmom. 
Yeah, I forget what it was like to be a teenager. I'm sure I irritated shit out of my parents when I was fifth. So I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Oh, that's not how teenagers act. No, I remember a lot of us acting like. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All that shit suppressed. I don't remember it. I can barely remember. <laughs> I drink it all away. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Maybe I did drink it all away. Eh, who knows? Right, anyway, so let's so. talk about the special effects real quick. Um, all done with you know. Uh, ILM and Jim Henson team working so hard on all of this. And I, if you were to tell me that this movie wasn't from 1986, that was from 96, I'd be like, oh, of course. Yeah, sure, I believe that. If you were even to say it was 2006, I would say, well, I guess they didn't have the money for a lot of, you know, BGI, so they went with practical effects. I still would buy that because there, this movie is immaculate. I don't see a scene. You know how movies are from the 80s? There's always a sequence where, like, oh, that's some terrible blue screen. That doesn't work at all. Or like Luke Skywalker falling down and <laughs> when he's in Cloud City, one of the worst effects yeah. I've ever seen. You know, stuff like that where no. it's really obvious. Uh, with the exception of the owl, nothing here is dated. Oh, God, no. Uh-uh. Like, you know, when uh, you see uh, Jennifer Connelly trying to go through the... She meets the worm. And then um, yes. he's just going, oh, no, you don't go that way. And she just goes right through the wall. You actually think there's, like, a green wall there. But, no, it is, like, a fucking, you know, it's a huge uh, optical illusion. Like, there's really nothing there. She just walked right through it and moved the other way. You know, in, in and this, then, these days, uh, I'm not going to say his name right, Haggard? Hoggart? Hoggle. Hoggle. Don't say I didn't work. Huggle is, of course, all puppetry, and now, of course, we would do them all CGI, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't look right. I don't care how good CGI is. There's always something that doesn't look right, and the eye can tell. But when it's practical effects right in front of your eye, um, even though the movements aren't 100%, you know, you can't do everything with puppetry, I believe it more. True. Kind of like, um, I mean, well, you have an exception of, you know, Ted by Seth MacFarlane. You know, they had, like, an actual bear there for him to look at, you know, yeah. to get the, uh, you know, eye line right. And then they just overlay it with a CGI uh, bear. But even then, no, honestly, uh, uh, the creation of Hoggle, I thought, was like one of the most unique things ever. I'm looking at the first. I, I, I love, of course, um, I'm not saying it's because David Bowie's past. I've loved David Bowie for so long. But I have to say, during the 80s, I, I kind of didn't notice a lot of stuff he did, especially since I never saw this. Uh, it kind of ended with, let's dance. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually kind of like this song here. much going on. I wonder how many times they shot that scene. I would say basically it's a music video, but there's so much wire work going on in puppetry in order to have him sing that. Oh my god. Okay, start again. Okay, take 72. <laughs> you have to be so patient. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, and of course, you know a lot of those uh, dwarf actors were ones from Return of the Jedi and oh, uh, anybody that George yeah. Lucas has worked with. And Warwick Davis, too. <sighs> yeah, I totally have to have those. Kenny Baker, of course, is in this. Um, you have to have all of these actors uh, rehearse beforehand because you can't sit there and just waste film. You know, it costs a fortune. You have to rehearse it all mm -hmm. first in order for it to work. Um, 
I love how the, the maze, no matter what, always try, trying to work against her. <laughs> like the bricks flipping over. Oh, I know. On them. Um, then there's the uh, the two doors. One's lying, one's telling the truth. Though you can't really tell. Yeah, actually. So it's it's, those, it's those definitely something. It's, it's, yeah, no, exactly. It's metaphorical for politics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have the giant ball going after her with the spikes and blades and stuff like that. You're like, holy crap. The cleaners, <laughs> yes. Oh, but David Bowie, though. I mean, oh, my God. Like, seriously, his presence just on the screen. It's like, it was the reason I was watching the movie. I was more fascinated by his character than I was for Sarah. It's like, I kind of wanted David Bowie to win, like, ever since I watched this movie as a kid. Really? Wow. Like, that's how... Yeah, I know. I love... Well, I love... Plus, I love David Bowie. He was, yeah. he was fucking great, man. Um, he was David Bowie. So, the sequence earlier that you spoke about when she's at the door and the two, the two doors are arguing, that is actually where I quit the first time I watched it. I was like, this is some bullshit. I'm not tolerating this. I'm out. Um, which, actually, now I watch this once and I absolutely adore it. The, the special effects are amazing, but it's also a really funny sequence. I guess I was just in the wrong mood for it. I was too busy or something. But, um, let's talk that about... Had to, let's also talk about the fact that Ludo is in the rest of this movie after that sequence. I love Ludo. Um, but you did a perfect impression of him. Smell bad! <laughs> Ludo, man! That must... Ludo must know that this is some good shit. Ludo. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so here's the scene with the door. Doodle hungry. Doodle got munchies like a motherfucker. Who should we choose out of these two ugly characters? It's very rude to stare. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just wondering which door to choose. What? Exactly. <laughs> like, come on, the guy's like, I'm pretty sure the guy's been through enough pain. Yeah. Or hell, even the. <laughs> Nonsensical. I don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there was just like the scene earlier, where, you know, there's the helping hands part. After the two uh, doors, oh, the, li- the one that the lies and one that tells the truth. Yeah, I know. What do you mean, help? We are helping. We're helping hands. Oh my god, that was just so fluid and so smooth and just so well done it's like it oh you have to give the guys credit for making that scene work yeah it's beautiful uh you know what i said that none, none of the special effects look dated but i forgot there's a pink little monsters i don't know if you see a little bit of green action going on wild that's about it. the wild gang yeah can't stand down this the is the only part of the movie gang. i can't stand yeah Stand this. That's the only part I, I did not I like. honestly, honestly, I thought it was Mer- uh, my brother 
came up with this and he was very critical of the this scene, you know, years ago. And he was telling me pretty much how it was just a metaphor for getting head. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is oh my one God. last character that's part of our T tier and stinks, which is still it's astonishing how well this is designed. Um, mm. <laughs> is it like where they store all the poop from the goblins? I don't know. Stop, I say. Oh, please, mm. we have to get across. Without my permission, no one may cross. Please, please, this is my favorite character. Oh, oh, oh my God, God, I love him too. is so far beyond their ability. <laughs> it's not the funny of them. I think those, those kind of people. To the point that where they're delusional, yeah. yeah. That's pretty much what Dennis was. You're a fucking dog. How can you not smell that shit, you silly bastard? <laughs> he's a dog? I thought he was a fox. It, he looks like a dog. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell for me. I mean, he looks old. He's got the big old mustache. I, I think he might be a fox. I could be wrong. But um, Ambrosius, <laughs> whenever he says, Ambrosius? Come here, right this way. That way. No, to battle. Oh, my God. Uh, and then when Bluto summons the rocks for yeah, Sarah to step cool. on so she's going to get... Like yeah, I know. And then fucking as soon as, uh, you know, Bluto's walking along, it's like making fart noises. And then and fucking Ambrosius runs along. Like... There's this whole huge string of fart noises. The, uh, <laughs> there is a sequence towards the end when she's just about to get to the uh, get to the Goblin King and save her little brother. It's uh, when the door shuts and all of a sudden this robot creature comes out of the doors, but only when they're put together. How does that work? How does that? <laughs> Do they they have interlocking pieces once it meets. Uh, that's the only way I can think it works. Um, it has to be some seriously good wiring. Like it has to have a whole different wiring system on each side, controlled by the middle one. And which side? What yeah, side I, does the guy uh, inside the robot uh, sit in when it's put together? Exactly, I know. It's like they're hiding up there, and you know how it's just. I guess like what, the other side of the door is like hollowed out so the armor could fit through, and then it interlocks. It seems very technologically possible, but you're. Oh God! Another one of the sequences that I wanted to, uh, I do want to discuss was the ballroom sequence, the dream sequence yeah, after that she eats creepy. the peach. Oh my God! I thought it was. It did show that Jareth has some kind of infatuation for Sarah. Yeah, because she's so resilient, and I. Uh, uh, and with her, I don't think he's ever been. I don't think he's ever seen anyone go as far as her in the labyrinth. So I'm guessing like he's either trying to seduce her so you know she can lose, or he's actually starting to do something for her because you know how he mentions like her life, you know her imagination going into her room, you know. You know, it'd be less creepy if she was over eighteen. <laughs> True, but I don't know. He's a goblin king. He's ageless. Doesn't matter to him. It should, because that's fucking weird. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of wrong here. Um, let's talk about but the MC Escher chasing. How genius is that? And it's filmed so well that at no point do I go, oh, that's some digital trickery or, or some sort of, like, you know, um, some sort of photo trick. You know, it looks so good. Oh, my God, I know. Like, um, pretty much all the staircases walking up this way, that way. Oh, it was filmed wonderfully. And then the little bouncing, oh, gosh, the crystal parts. You know, those crystal sequences with the juggling and moving, oh my god. They did get an actual double uh, to be behind David Bowie and just put his hands like through some oh, sleeves. 
That's how they oh. did that. I had no idea. I was like, he must have practiced a lot or had that ability already. Because I would like, oh, drop broken. Whoop, drop broken. Um, do you have any more? Well, yeah, like holy shit. I know. That was just, that was, I mean, just seeing the behind the scenes stuff of that. Like, the juggler was just going through all these, like, different exercises. Like, you know, juggling, you know, like, moving all three of them around at once while, like, doing all these, like, splits and, like, yoga poses. Like, holy shit. It was, that is, that is true artwork right there. It's, it's sad that this movie really bombed. It found a huge audience on video. Um, obviously, it's something that still grows to this day. I think a lot of kids are discovering it now. But this was kind of the end for David Bowie in films. I mean, not that he was in a lot of them. You know, he but he was in a handful, and all of a sudden, it just kind of kind of stopped after. He did uh, the Spaghetti Incident, Zoolander, but you know, as himself. Uh, I don't recall if he Last was in Last Warhol. Oh yeah. Um, but you you have to say that around this time is when things slowed down a bit. I, it was weird. He was going through a phase where he was no longer really in the top ten. You know, none of his albums were went off. And do you remember that David Bowie? The... Not necessarily. No. Yeah, he did a couple albums with them, and it bombed. And then in the nineties, seemed like uh, people had kind of forgotten about him. They're always talking about him when you know groundbreaking career up all the time. Um, but I don't think it was until he teamed up with Trent Reznor for uh, I'm Afraid of Americans, which, wow, does that song mean a hell of a lot more now in the last two weeks than it ever did before. Good fucking God, does it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's nice to know, though, that over the last years or so, his legacy is stronger than and uh, really sad that he passed. I mean, he really did his all. You know, no regrets. He lived the, the way he wanted to live, and he did some of the most beautiful art of all time. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, God, when he passed, my... Uh, a colleague, a colleague of mine, uh, Todd, like he was just in shock and awe. Like he could not believe it. Like it really like touched him. I mean, just as much as Leonard Cohen's passing, you know, had an impact on my brother Eddie, because that was like his favorite, like his if not one of if not his favorite artists of all time. Yeah, I really. It, don't it's know exactly anything. how I. I don't know. I don't know anything that Leonard Cohen did. Even when people say Hallelujah, I was like, that's his song. Oh shit! I thought that was somebody else's. Yeah. I, I have no idea who he is, but maybe I feel um, I should start, you know, going into discography. Yeah, Tower of Song was another is another good one to listen to. I'd recommend that one. And um, yeah, no, like seriously, his when he passed, I, honestly, I was just like kind of dumbfounded. I'm like, holy shit! I can't believe it. Yeah, and he came out with an album like shortly before that, and it it was just selling like mad. It was yeah. a huge hit. It's it's disturbing though. I um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie and say it's one of his better albums, but it has um it's saying something that was important. To him. Um, and it's a very different sound than I think I've ever heard from him before. It's not the way that I thought he would end it, but I've never gone through you know what the six my you know sixty years plus looks like. Um, so you know, yeah. more power to I guess uh that he got the finish that he wanted. To yeah, he did. And also, uh, dude, honestly, I had to listen to Heroes when he when I found out he passed. I listened to Heroes like three oh, times that day. That that is his most powerful song, I think. I mean, I love you know, um, Space Oddity, um, and Young Americans, and uh, Suffragette City, Gene Genie. Uh, let oh my god. Anyway, uh, so, every time every time I get you know, uh, some of you don't know, but I have a dog Willow that Jacob also knows. Every time I have uh, Willow jump down from the bed and go outside to go to the bathroom, almost every single time I go, let's dance, put on your red shoes and dance the and blues. Dance the blues. And she's like, I just want to go pee. What are you doing? <laughs> Sway through the town. Uh, oh, man. But still, no, this, honestly, the soundtrack, the songs in this film, too, I, I absolutely loved. I mean, there was, of course, Magic Dance, which is the most fun one. I meant to do a slow build to music as we kind of wrapped up the episode. <laughs> I didn't expect that to boom. Okay, 
Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, we'll say no, that no, for later. I did it. I was, I, you were talking about <laughs> oh. the music, and I figured, oh, it's a good time to play the final song, and then all of a sudden, blast. Um, oh, yeah. Awkward. <laughs> uh, let's Underground. Talk about the very I end of the movie. So. All of a sudden, everybody's there. Everybody is there with her. Do you think a little strange that um, even the bad guys were there in her room and they're all partying? Yeah, I, uh, uh, those bad guys are probably sick of Jareth's, Jareth's shit anyway. I mean, come on, look at him. Every time he made a joke, they didn't laugh. He's like, well, ah, he kind of treated him a little poorly. Eh, I don't get it. No, I don't. I don't see how they were treated poorly. They all seemed to have like a good, like they were having a good time. <laughs> But uh, at the end, of course, yeah. it's supposed to be quiet, too. Like, the parents are home, and the baby's trying to sleep, and they're having a party. They're throwing, like, confetti, you know? <laughs> I was like, man, shh, seriously. Incognito. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I do want to go back and talk about that one junkyard scene where she, th- you know, she ate the peach. She's forgetting things. Oh, right, right. And right. Then, she, then she, like, slips onto that woman with all the junk on her back. I'm like, is that what happens to the people who try to save their brothers? Oh, maybe. That, I think that's what Sarah was about to become. Yeah, uh, that was actually a really well done scene. I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to tell you this. Of the two movies, which do you prefer? Oh, shit. Mm, it is kind of a tough decision. It's not an easy decision to make. I'll tell you that much right now. But I would probably have to go with Labyrinth mainly because of J- David Bowie, George Lucas, the minds behind it. But don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I don't love Ridley Scott. I absolutely love him. He's one of my favorite directors. And, again, Tom Cruise and Tim Curry like did wonderful with that film but i'd have to give it to labyrinth yeah i'm giving it to labyrinth because there are really no big chunks of story where i'm like huh what no you don't even need this what is going on um yeah. and the fact that the special effects are still just unbelievable like it hasn't aged at all uh legend is still fantastic though in its uh design and special effects as i get older yeah. i'm starting to move away from it a little bit um it's i can't believe i waited so long to watch this movie. i feel ashamed and i'm gonna watch black crystal now or dark crystal uh i feel like i screwed up by not doing that um so that yeah. brings us to the end of this episode check us out on video night uh it's on facebook um, we're also on Twitter under Retro Rock Entertainment, and uh, check out the rest of our episodes through either one of those social media places. Um, what we have coming up for the rest of the year and maybe early next year, like I said, we're going to do the X-Men. We're going to be doing our favorite Christmas movies. Uh, I'm going to have Jacob come on and a couple other people to discuss our top five yep. Christmas movies. And um, I don't know, then we'll start going to 87, so then we can talk about like Lost Boys and Monster Squad and... Uh, you know, and stuff like Dragnet, things like that. Um, but I also want to kind of discussing the sword and sorcery fantasy era of the 80s. So we're talking, we're, we're going to be talking about Willow. We're going to be talking about the Conan move. Uh, Lady Hawk, um, Beastmaster, yeah. Sword and the Sorcerer. My favorite, uh, cheap kind of guilty pleasure, is Hawk the Slayer, which is kind of the first sword and sorcery ever. Um, it's great, terrible. Great, terrible. Uh, that's the only way I can put it. Uh, is there any other? Uh, so bad, it's so good. Dragon Slayer. Oh, yeah, that one with uh, Peter McNichol? Yeah, yeah. What, what else am I missing here? I feel like there's a couple other Sword and Sorcery movies I'm forgetting. Oh, gosh. Um, we already discussed She we did discuss long ago. Yeah, we do another show that, that you know, uh, Video Night is kind of about the great movies. Trash Cinema is about, like, the guilty pleasures or movies that bomb that we think are worth mentioning. Um, or just flat-out fucking bonkers and discuss She. <laughs> and if we do that, we might as well just do the... <laughs> we might want to discuss Ator, which is one of the worst. There's a lot of bad Italian sword sorcery movies out there. Um, well, Video Night's more like the stuff we really like. Uh, I thought it's funny. I'm looking at the credits here on Labyrinth, and the second director on it, uh, kind of the guy that does all the action sequences, was Peter McDonald, 
who two years later would do um, Indiana, not Indiana 3, I'm sorry, Rambo 3. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he jumped from this, you know, a bomb, but uh, ended up doing what I think is a, actually a still pretty Rambo movie, and uh, that is this. The most menacing musical comedy ever to paint the silver screen. Three, Little Shop of Horrors. Where did you get such a weird flash? <laughs> Thrill to the romance. Will you marry me? Sure. Witness the drama. You'll be a saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Feed me, Clawbot! Feed me now! Savor the spectacle of the first plant in motion picture history yeah. ever to sing for its supper. Starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Vincent Gardenia, with a special appearance by Steve Martin. <laughs> James Belushi, John Candy, Comfy. and Bill Murray. Picture of professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. Let's ride! The Three Amigos. They were the biggest stars of their day. The Three Amigos are history. Go for live on video night. Oh, here we go. Sounds like the Muppet Show. Which actually kind of ties into this, Frank Oz. How's that for an opening? Now, it would have been better if uh, I had forgotten that there was like a five-second startup where it was all awkward and we're like, fill in the air, fill in the dead air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, gosh, so I didn't know. I thought you just had a different introduction. I'm like, you threw me off there. Shit, I'm usually good at improv. Fuck. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. So we are discussing the 30th anniversary of Little Shop of Horrors. Now, 
before you lose your shit. Yes, we know there's a previous version from 1959, A Little Shop of Horrors. We know it was a play before this. No, we're talking about the cinematic musical Little Shop of Horrors starring Rick Moranis, Alan Green, Vincent Gardenia, John Candy, Steve Martin. Well, actually, John Candy had a small part. Steve Martin and Bill Murray and uh, Jim Belushi and who else was in this movie that was uh, Christopher Guest? Uh... Oh, yeah, that's right. Christopher Guest was in there. Oh, God, it's been so, uh, it, it has been so long, but still, I remember more fondly Bill Murray's part because, you know, he played the same part that Jack Nicholson played in the 1959 film yeah. version. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this song. <laughs> so good. The, the music of this, Alan Menken, uh, who ended up becoming like a Disney guy later. Um, just so fantastic uh, the score that he put together or not the score the uh, the what do you call it what do you call it when it's a musical um, songs musical arrangement yeah choreography yeah the songs and lyrics yeah he did because I think but Howard also, Shore actually does this I could be wrong okay but, yeah but that explains so much um, for, just from the sound of it I like, got it sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon I'm like oh shit it sounds like something you'd hear in uh, DuckTales like in their like a little horror movie mansion and there's chill <laughs> plants all over the place well, you know, we discussed the Little Shop of Horrors uh, animated show last week for a Hall- or last year for our Halloween special on our other podcast, Back in Tunes. Go watch it now. Go listen to it. Go listen. Suck it up. Enjoy it. Uh, Do it! <laughs> the cartoon sucks, I should say this, but the, the show was a fun uh, review of certain, like, monster shows. Um, so, yeah, they, do, they couldn't capture the magic at all with the animated version. <laughs> I think a lot of it falls down to the songs. It's so appealing. Yeah, I know. Plus, it you know, Little Shop of Horrors itself was a musical, so you know, to capture it and to turn it into like a, just a thirty-minute cartoon series really doesn't work out as well. No, especially with with the time allotted. Like, it's pretty much it's all just going to be a couple songs. There's not going to be re- any real dialogue, no real acting, nothing. Just well, everybody singing along, and you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to die due to lack of breathing. <laughs> just like in a, I know it's gosh, I mean. Oh, God, who's the one who did Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd with, by Tim Burton? Uh, Sondheim? Or you mean the director? No, the, music, the musician, yeah, Sa- Sondheim. Yes. My God, he leaves, he leaves like no room to breathe Into whenever he woods, comes up there. Into the woods, into the woods. Johnny Depp was a child molester. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> Good God. Hold on, what? He was a child molester in that movie. The Big Bad Wolf was a fucking child molester. I don't know how anybody can see that. I felt so uncomfortable hearing him sing the lyrics, look at that flesh, pink and plump. Hello, little girl. I'm like, ah! I thought he was just going to eat her. That's what I was thinking. No, but he gave off a weird, rapey fucking vibe. Ugh. Especially the way he, like, posed and sat down. Like, good God, man. Although, agony, I laughed my motherfucking ass off. It was ridiculous. Like, Chris Pine and Billy Magnuson, I think his name was. Hmm. Like, just trying to show off their masculinity, saying, like, which one's suffering the most. Because they want these girls that they can't have. Pretty much just sound like a bunch of douchebag uh, fraternity bros who can't get the chick they want to have sex sex with. That's pretty much what I compared it to. Well, that's I'm going to have to watch it again because I never even noticed that. Uh, weird. Uh, speaking of weird, <laughs> uh, John Candy, this is one of my favorite bits, is right when he's ready to show off uh, Audrey 2 to uh, the world. And now Wink Wilkinson's Weird World with your host, Wink Wilkinson. Stuff. What are you doing here? What? You, please, lady, don't put your clothes back on. It's Wink. Wil- 
You can't do this to me. What if your husband were to walk in? I'm right here, Wake. I'm sorry. I love your show, but I've got to kill you both with this machine gun. <laughs> I know, but oh god. <laughs> I love the fact that he did both voices and didn't change hardly a thing. Like, we're supposed to believe it was another person. Oh, <laughs> uh, radio back then. Radio was just such a phenomenon for so long. It was even part of my life where it was like. Whoever the cool DJ was in town, it, you know, it was necessary to know this and listen to the show. You, did you ever have this, like, the cool radio DJ, or did your life move, like, more with the streaming by the time you got into music? Uh, I think by the time I got into music, I think it was still, there was still plenty of radio DJs. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. Radio was still around, was, was of course, still around. You know, we'd always hear, like, Casey Kasem or, you know, a few other great DJs. Yeah. Uh, and especially, like, late at night, driving home from Auburn, we would hear Dan Aykroyd, you know, Posing as Elwood Blues, talking over the radio, playing some jazz. Oh man, it's pretty. It was it was just so great to listen to. The uh, it's funny though. Like you think about teenagers now, and they may have like, oh, I haven't listened to the radio in ten years. You know, I, I barely listen to the radio now, and um, you know, I couldn't tell you who anybody was. And it just seems like everything's all oldies and, and news radio, which is funny that I'm bashing it, considering you know NPR and podcasting are pretty similar. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I mean, hey, I know now pretty much almost everybody, it seems like almost everybody can have like a little radio broadcast of their own, just as long as they don't suck. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny is up until about nine months ago, you were able to open your own radio station for a pretty like reasonable fee. I think it was like $150 a year. Then you had to get your FCC, FCC license for internet radio, but uh, oh people God. were able to do it. And then all of a sudden, January 1st, the, the rules changed, and now uh, the rights to licensing the songs it used to be like a penny a play. And you pay like $150 for this access to a catalog. The company that was running it, um, they went out of business. And all the other small companies ran screaming in the other direction because the whole licensing royalty thing changed. So now it wasn't like $150 flat fee, a penny a thing. You had to have your own accounting team. You had to like write checks out to all the people use music for. And that's a lot of time-consuming money thing. So it took away the um, independent small internet radios. And it's kind of a bummer because I was actually planning on opening one. Shit! I know, me and Oh my god, and of course all those artists. Yeah, we're talking about, we're trying to create a radio station that would mix um, talk radio, like our podcast, with music. And, you know, like we'd have certain shows, like it'd be a two-hour block of underground hip-hop, and then a couple podcasts, and then it would be like a couple hours of alternative music and stuff like that. We would kind of make a radio station for everybody, and it just didn't get to happen, and I I was so upset. And we're really on a tangent here, but... um, yeah, it's just uh, music was so important. Radio was huge, and then it's just like nothing now. Mm, I know, pretty much almost nothing. You know, it's funny sad. Is, this is probably the There's satellite radio. I've done what three hundred podcasts now, and probably ninety percent of them with you. And I've known you for what three years now, and I haven't I haven't faintest clue what kind of music you like. Oh, dude, I like all. T- I can like all types of music. I mean, heck, I'll even listen to a. I'll listen, of course, I like to listen to hip hop, alternative punk, rock, and of course, certain musical numbers. That I like to listen to, like you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and of course, which is what Little Shop of Horrors. This is my favorite song of Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know. Which, what, let me ask you, what's your favorite song in it? Hmm, I would have to say between uh, the intro or Dorothy or uh, <clears throat> Dorothy Two's little big mu- number near the end That's before he is un- undoubtedly killed. That voice, just like all that soul and that <laughs> power he has behind it. Feed me all feed me. that long. 
But this is my favorite. Yeah, I know. Actually, that... It's the Steve Martin song. This is my favorite one. It's so twisted. Floors to sweep, toilets to clean, and every other Sunday off. You know what? I think you would have... Clearly, I have no idea how to edit properly. Uh, be dumb. Hey, Jacob, <laughs> look over there. Shiny object. Pretend like that moment didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Where? Mm-hmm. Look, oh. run for it. Oh, my God. I'm going to chase it. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to get it like a cat gets a laser. <laughs> get back here. Get uh... back here. Give me that. Give me that, don't you? It's so funny that, Give me that Frank, shiny Oz, Frank Oz, you know, he directed Muppets Take Manhattan, and then he ends up doing this. Are you still chasing the cat? Good, because you're buying no, his time. I don't understand it. what the hell happened. I had the song prepped, and it went wrong. Um, you know, Frank God, Oz no. did Muppets Take Manhattan. I think he did Dark Crystal, too, and then it leads up to this, which makes sense because there's so much puppetry involved in Audrey, too. But because of his... Um, you know, actor loyalty, you know, he, they won a lot of people over with the Muppet show in the movies. And then, of course, Steve Martin being yeah. in the first Muppet movie uh, comes back for uh, this movie and does one of the best roles, period. I, I just am astonishing how good he is. I actually prefer him as, like, a crazy villain. When he's angry and indignant, it just kills me. Um, like, there's moments in, I don't know if you've ever seen Sergeant Bilko or The Jerk, but that's, okay, here's a song, finally. Sheesh. Did I stall long enough? You did. My mama noticed funny things I did. Like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I poisoned guppies when I was done. I'd find a pussycat. My ass is here. What did she say? What did she say? <laughs> she said, my boy, I think someday you'll find a way. You have a talent for causing pain. Uh, this is a really black comedy. This is dark, twisted stuff. And this, oh, I know, especially oh that God. scene in particular. You know, just killing small animals. That's the that's signs of a major serial killer. Jesus. <laughs> Sociopath. For years, I thought Anthony Michael Hall was in the chair, by the way. He looks just like he did when he was in 16 Candles. Oh, God. <laughs> was that actually Anthony Michael Hall or another kid? Uh, no, totally different. It has to be another one. Because I didn't realize at this time he was past, like, weird science. You know, he was in Out of Bounds and, um, you know, a lot darker uh, hair color. Edward thing, Scissor- so, yeah, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, and then Edward Scissorhands when he was the, uh, you know, douchebag boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Or what about Johnny B. Good? Which no one saw. Where him and uh, Robbie Downey Jr. football stars. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm by oh, there. Gosh, I... <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn, no. Little Shopper Horrors. Uh, yeah, it was a dark comedy. I mean, my gosh, this plant actually ate people. He ate Seymour's old boss. That was like a little haunting I mean, melody right there. It's like, oh. It's like, oh, 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 oh. My God. And he gets bigger and bigger and starts sprouting more little baby yeah. Dorothy's. Oh. They, uh, when they hack him up, I mean, it's just like, this is, this, I can't believe this is, I think this is PG. I don't even think it's PG-13. By this time, though, you know, PG-13 was a thing, and uh, it's clearly not meant for kids. And me and my sister watched this all the time. I was 10, and she was 7. And this is one of those HBO constantly, like, uh, on a loop 
you know, it'd be this and Howard the Duck during the summer of 1987. Yeah, no, I'm honestly, my mom, my dad, like, did not have a problem with me watching PG-13 stuff. We got it. We're kids. We know it's movies. Yeah, my parents we still laughed at it. I watched R-rated movies as a kid. It just made me look away, which I would pretend to look away and look in the reflection of one of their glasses. We watched this, dude, we watched the Spawn animated series. Like, that's how much they didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> we watched Conan the Barbarian when I was five. That is one gory like nudity and you know I think it's funny there would be severed heads and then my mom would be like oh look away boo <laughs> I'm like but that's gore that's disgusting it's like okay if you have a problem with uh, me it's like, I don't always have to sexualize boobs mom that <laughs> <laughs> was the 80s mm-hmm. yeah but no and then god what's the voice who's the actress that plays uh, Seymour's girlfriend uh, Ellen Green she's a Broadway actress but I think a lot of people know her from the TV show Pushing Daisies oh yeah that's right I think you sent me a clip of that yeah, wasn't she, uh, wasn't she married to Casey Kasem? Uh, no, you're thinking of someone completely different. You're thinking of the lady from Ghostbusters. I am, I am thinking of the lady from Ghostbusters. I'm sorry. You but should. yeah, no, she had that, like, I am, I'm very sorry. I'm sorry. So, so sorry. sorry. But I hear her, like, speak normally, and it's like this little dizzy, high-pitched voice, little squeaky mouth, like, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And then we hear her sing. It's it's like, do they have someone ad-lib, or is that her actual singing voice? She was just putting that on for the character. <laughs> I don't know. She's a really good actress. She, I, she she can pull off a lot of stuff. She really wasn't much of um like a movie or a TV actress. She just did a lot of plays and would pop up here and there. Like she's, I'm pretty sure she's the mom at the beginning of The Professional. She's Natalie Portman's mother. And she's only in that, what, maybe five minutes? Before they're all killed. Yeah. Good God, that was a dark movie. Yeah, it was. That great. Was... Luke, Luke Besson's a great director, but damn. Yeah, he went to some really dark places in that movie. That movie makes me uncomfortable about the whole sexualization of, like, an 11-year-old girl with an old French assassin. It's like, ugh, good movie, but I was uncomfortable. Like, what's going on here? He's just treating her like a little kid, you know? That's all I thought. Yeah, but she wasn't, and I'm like, ah, stop it, ugh. <laughs> um, I know. So, uh, back but to yeah, no. Little Shop of Horrors. You know, the voice is, um, I'm pretty sure he's one of the singers for The Temptations. I might be wrong. Uh... Four tops, maybe? Let me look this up, because I am being... Very, and you're making a lot of people cry. Look, right, yeah. you're even making that baby cry. You're being a Trumpy. Fuck you! <laughs> Don't ever use that comparison. Never. <laughs> ever. Ever. You know, when you said Little Shop of Horrors, <laughs> I thought we were talking about the X-rated version. I'm like, wait, what? We're discussing adult films now? Oh, Little Shop of Horrors. Is oh, that, is that a porn horrors, not whores. Probably, I don't know. They always make, they always make parodies of almost everything you can fucking think of. Dude. I mean, come on, especially with all the big nerdy shit these days. Do you think they can actually have a little shop of whores? Because I mean, it's 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 rather small. I mean, whores mean their room. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I will have to Google it. But yeah, no. I mean, I thought it was critically wasn't um this was Oscar nominated, right? This version with Rick Moranis. Um, let me look in a second here. Oh, this was shot in England. I had this weird feeling that it was. Uh, something, I can't remember what it was. I think part of it was... Like, I forget. Studios? Yeah, uh, it was shot in the Bond stages, but something about it, because they always shoot the, um, they always shoot the Muppet movies in England, or well, at least they did until Disney took over. You know, those first ones are usually shot on sound stages in England, except I think part of the first one is shot in America. Um, I'm looking at this right now. Audrey 2 was voiced by Levi Stubbs, uh, was a singer for the Four Tops. I was wrong. It was the Commodore. Oh, and I knew it. I knew it. He did the voice of Mother Brain in Captain N. Oh my gosh. Was it him? Yeah. I, I, I had this weird feeling that that was his voice work. Uh, this, that's it. That's the only voice work he's ever done is a Little Shop of Horrors in Captain N. Wow. That's you think he would have done a lot more, especially with that wonderful voice of his yeah. man. It's, it's such a huh. fascinating. And the makeup work. I mean, not the makeup, the, the 
robotics and the puppetry of everything. It's so great. Oh, I know. I mean, this is where you need... This is where... Um, yeah, of course, this is where uh, Frank Oz would come in. I mean, this is his expertise. Yeah. And, of course, comedy as well. And, you know, uh, after this, he would team up with Steve Martin again for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I think is his masterpiece. He did a lot of really great movies. Uh, Bowfinger uh, uh, is amazing. House Sitter. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, him and Steve Martin really got uh, got along very well. It's when he left the whole Steve Martin world and started tackling other things where I think it went wrong. The score is okay. I still don't understand how in the world he ended up directing this this crime thriller with Edward Norton, Robert De Niro, and Marlon Brando. Um, That is pretty trippy. Yeah, it's kind of a strange choice. Um, I know. Maybe Stepford, it was recommended like, you know, Bonding Horizon. There was also the Stepford Wise remake. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny, but what kind of threw me off is like, you know, he had that one wife dispense money from her mouth, yet later on they just had nano chips inside them huh. the I whole time. Like, what? They didn't actually kill them. I didn't actually see that movie. I heard it was so bad that I never bothered, even though I love Matthew Broderick. For some reason, I just couldn't bring myself to watching it. And then, of course, he did Death at a Funeral, which is okay. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with it. Not a big hit. And I, I haven't seen Frank Oz do anything since. But during the 80s, man, he was really just a hot, rising director. Yeah. Oh, God. I did not real. I know he did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but I just... I had no idea he did Bowfinger. Yeah, he did... Uh, I'm trying to remember the rest of the stuff he did. So he did uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and then he did... I can't remember if he did uh, My Blue Heaven. Um, he did House Sitter, of course, which is another one of his big hits with Steve. And it's, it's pathetic that I'm looking this up. I should know this better. Well, of course, I mean, other than that, he also did voice work and oh, puppetry. Yeah, yeah. He did uh, the Star Wars. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, do you think they're ever going to bring him back to, like, do some puppetry for, you know, episode eight or something? No. Mostly I mean, shoot, they, I'm surprised work. they didn't bring him back for seven. Uh, he's doing the voice work. I don't see uh, him getting down there. Puppetry is actually really hard on the shoulders and neck because you got to hold that. You're down on the ground. You're either on your knees or you're standing up, and they make a stage above you, and they have the holes, and you find yourself holding them. I mean, they can't weigh a whole lot. It's probably about 10 pounds, but you imagine weigh, uh, carrying 10 pounds up uh, above your head for long periods of time. And the man's like in his 70s now, and it's just not going to happen. Oh, God. Another one that he did that I didn't know he did was in and out yeah, I'm looking up That right was now. just on recently. It's What About Bob is what he did. He didn't do um, uh, My Blue Heaven. He went from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels to What About Bob, which is also a fantastic movie, uh, reunion with Bill Murray. And then, of course, Indian in the Cupboard. Holy shit. He didn't. I don't think he did My that. God. I thought Frank Marshall did that. Uh, no, he and I think Frank Marshall co-directed. Yeah, no, he did do that. Wow, I had no idea. I always thought this whole time Frank Marshall was in charge of that movie. Nope, says, oh my, says yeah. by Frank Oz. I've never seen this movie. Is that good? Oh, Indian in the Cupboard? Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was very interesting to see, like, everything this kid puts in his little cupboard with a key. Yeah, it comes to and, like, his figurines will come to life, yeah. That's cool. God, I wish I had that cupboard. I know, I wish I did, too. I put all my G.I. Joes in there and watch them fight it out. <laughs> I put in, like, all my, like, all the little figurines I have, like, with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. and. Don't put the Joker the in, man. Joker Kombat. never goes well. Just put the superheroes together have them hang out. <laughs> Aquaman. I know. I'm just, gonna grab I'm just going to grab his fat head and be like, "Look, you can't do anything about it. You're just sitting there dangling. I'm too big <laughs> for you. You can't. Your inventions won't come to work. Not in this plane of reality. We don't have that kind of technology. You're an idiot. Oh, oh my God. Look at look who's laughing now. It's like, yeah. Don't stop abusing Harley so much, you little shit. <laughs> Fucking asshole. I still haven't seen Suicide Squad, <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about, really. Um, All right, I'll tell you there. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, back to back little, to the Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors was very expensive for what it was. No big names, really, because Rick Moranis wasn't a huge star yet. 
uh, I mean, this is right after Ghostbusters, so he probably got at best maybe $250,000. And the rest are either stage actors, characters. You know, they had put out some money for, like, Steve Martin and stuff like that. But I get the feeling that since he was such good friends with Frank Oz, they didn't have to pay him very much. It's all in the puppetry. And those sound stages were very expensive. Recreating 1950, or I don't know if it's 50s or 40s. I think it's the 50s. Uh, trying to recreate the 50s era on something you've never seen before is very expensive. A lot of these movies that have them on sets... They're the same set you've been seeing over and over and over and over, and they're always on like some universal backlot or something like that. So it was not a huge hit. It cost $25 million, I think it made $45 um, But it made its money on video. Video and HBO, this was a perpetual play. And they put out a director's cut of this. I don't even think it's called director's cut. I think it's called the preferred cut. Uh, cost a fortune. But it has the original ending, which is like 10 minutes long. Have you ever seen the darker ending? No, I haven't. Holy shit, I did not know that. So yeah. it's like, it basically, I remember the ending, you know, uh, Seymour and Judy are both going into the house, and all of a sudden you see a little baby Audrey 2 develop, and that's it. Like, I must know. I have to look this up. I have no, to YouTube it later. I'm not going to tell you the end. Uh, they might even have a clip of it on YouTube where you can watch the original ending, or uh, the Blu-ray is out there. Really nice book edition. You know how some of the Blu-rays, they have, like, the, the nicer, either the steel case or the book version where you open up, like, literally like a book? And it has, like, a nice little uh, guide in there, uh, like a 20-page guide to the making right, of the yes. movie. And um, it's, like, $29 or something like that. Last time I was at Target, uh, that was a couple years. Um, I imagine yeah. somewhere you have to have a cheap book. Especially the imagery. Yeah. Mm. It's not some cheapo, uh, we put four movies on one disc and slammed it into a case. Here you go. It looks like shit. Uh, I'm funny. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah no, I, I really, I cannot wait to watch that ending. I'm, I mean, as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going on YouTube. And then I could talk with my then I could talk with my cousin later. I'm like, yeah. you know what? Hold on, I gotta, I gotta watch this first. Family's less important. <laughs> I need to know what happened. What really happened to Audrey too? The conspiracy theory. <laughs> she knows I love her though. Seymour <laughs> Crowborn was uh, Audrey the whole time. It was a split personality, <laughs> and he was eating the people. Can you imagine? He's talking to himself in Audrey's voice, and he's just eating his boss. And nom 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was all it was all just a mastermind. It was like a plot <laughs> twist. It's like something out of a Hideo Kojima game, like from Metal Gear, or better yet, something, something you'd seen like the early episodes of Lost. Something like that. Um, yeah. So this is a definite must. This is during an era when musicals were starting to die quickly because uh, I don't know if you know, but around 1978 to 1982, there was about five very very expensive shit. They didn't make a dime, so people ran away screaming because. Um, so we had Grease, which is massive, huge musical. Then immediately after that, we had uh, Can't Stop the Music, makes no money. Um, Sergeant Pepper's Lo uh, Lonely Hearts Band, uh, nothing. Uh, we had Xanadu, nothing. By the way, I, I oh my god, Xanadu. I love Xanadu. I should not like Xanadu. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, and I love it. We also have. I thought it was gonna be like a cult classic. It is kind of a cult classic. It kind of is now, but it was a very expensive movie. There's also the Apple uh, from the guys that made, you know, the Canon Pictures guys. <laughs> about the future right. and in the future all real music is washed away it's all techno overly processed music and everybody's super stylized and all of a sudden this show that everybody watched um i can't remember is it um uh, the bim i uh, i can't remember is uh but some like you know like a american bandstand kind of show is a oh yeah tonight show it's something that everybody watches and everybody um sees these two couples come on and there's nothing processed they're just dressed like you know it's kind of hippie-ish you know they're just uh, playing music or whatever and it's, it's straightforward and it's honest and everybody's like boo what is that shit boo 
like and everybody's crying their eyes out like at the horror of what they're watching yeah it's like this is real music no and then all of a sudden somebody's like no hold on a second and then everybody's like wait 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 let's listen to this and they fall in love with them and they're basically like it's a whole metaphor for um uh you know eating the apple getting kicked out of eat so we have um oh my god apparently i don't know the bible at all who uh adam and eve we have Adam and Eve, and they're the musicians, and they get signed to this major contract, but the guy running the company is the devil. And the, 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 <sighs> the contract is the apple, basically. And uh, they sign the deal, whatever, and they become super famous and super rich, but the guy decides, no, I will have none of this, and he gets kicked out of Eden. And he has to get back in there to save uh, Eve and, and bring her back away from the devil. Oh, I can't believe I just described this movie. It has nothing to do with a little My God, you just Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing, Come on. Okay. So basically, musicals were dying down, and Xanadu, it was a, was that a good song? Would you think it was a good song? Xanadu. Was it a hit? I, I think I prefer, um, I'm alive. <laughs> I yeah, and who, oh yeah, Swan uh, from the Warriors was in there. Uh, yeah. Michael Bagg is famous for saying, the Warriors opened all the doors for me, and Xanadu slammed them shut. <laughs> he actually said that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, that's horrible. I'm sorry. Oh my god! Was, we, I thought need, it was a... we need to watch some of these musicals and talk about it because I think there's something out of all of these, even the the uh, the Village People movie. There's something fascinating and entertaining about them, but they're so long, they're so expensive, and it just drowns these companies. So everybody ran screaming away from musicals after this, except for Little Shop of Horrors comes out of nowhere and is a pretty sizable hit. It's just that it costs so much money that people were like, "Nah, let's just." And then Dirty Dancing comes out, and then it becomes about dance movies. You know, there's the Bada. And uh, uh, rooftops and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Footloose, oh, of course. Sports. And then, oh yeah, Footloose. That was more like just dance. I didn't think of it as an actual musical. Yeah, well, I've, 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 I think it was... I've always been in an argument with this. If the music is absolutely in, integral to the plot in some way, um, I think it's a musical. I think Footloose, Saturday Night Fever, Flashdance, all of them count as musicals in my mind. But everybody Dirty else disagrees. Dancing. So I could be wrong. Uh, they say it requires you to actually be singing in order for it to be considered a musical. Precisely. Oh, and then there's the Wiz. Yeah, the Wiz. that was you remember really that expensive one? too. And that oh. didn't make a whole lot of money. I've never seen that movie. I still like. I thought it was so enjoyable. It was a great cat. You know, like it was like a great collaboration of you know like Diane Ross, Michael Jackson, all these huge Motown artists. Yeah. And just this huge vision. And of course, Richard Pryor showing up as the Wizard, or the Wiz. It's just it was just so funny. And uh, we had Newsies, uh, massive flop from Disney. And then musicals just went away for a very long time until Moulin Rouge kicked the door back open and said, "Here you go." We're like, Chicago. <laughs> and then there was Chicago with uh, Renee Selweger and yeah. so Zeta-Jones. I feel like musicals are starting to die off again because they are really expensive and uh, not a lot of them are successful. But Into the Woods, you know. Hairspray. Hairspray was huge, yeah. So musicals, I, love hairspray. I, I don't think will ever really go away. I mean, I true, I am a theater major, so music is like part of my life. It's like a, an absolute necessity. Um, but I think I think I'm not. I don't think I'm alone. I think. Yeah, no, I, they do. They are. They're very fun. And then there was mom. Oh yeah, Mamma Mia. There was hairspray and Mamma Mia. And then Rock of Ages. I don't know. People, Rock of Ages didn't really make as much money as it should have. No, I'm that, putting that got it bad reviews and uh, it didn't take off. I don't know. I thought it, I I enjoyed watching it. I thought I got a kick out of it. It was funny. Russell Brand in particular, and now Alec Baldwin in a musical singing. <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, we're gonna pause. I kid you not. We're going to pause real quick, and we'll come back with Three Amigos. One for each other and all for one. The three brave amigos are we. 
something so silly so special about this movie that you know i think i think a lot of people are just like i i don't know um it, it doesn't work for me. and i'm like how can this not work for you this is the greatest movie ever <laughs> it's stupid no it's not stupid it's masterpiece it's it's intentionally stupid i know my gosh especially when you see um i uh, martin short just like tr- dancing as terrible as bruce springsteen did in dancing in the dark music oh, video oh it's still going <laughs> 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 You thought you thought it'd stop, but no, it was still trailing on. Oh gosh, how they managed to do that is beyond me. It's I so, have no idea. Like, that was amazing. I didn't intend for that to happen. <laughs> oh, six years later. <laughs> this little hiccup is still going. Still in play. Still in play. It's a fair ball. Oh my god. Um, oh, but yeah, no, I thought just getting those three together was just absolute gold. Yes. I mean, Chevy Chase, who's, who's, who was still a huge thing at the time. And Martin Short, oh gosh, I could I cannot dislike Martin Short at all. Yeah, there and then, is, um, C. Martin. Yeah, it's amazing they got these three guys together, and it had to have been because of John Landis. I don't think any other director at that time could have brought them together, but at that time, John, or maybe Ivan Reitman, because Ivan Reitman did bring those guys uh, over on the Ghostbusters, and that's a pretty big cast, you know, Harold Ramis, Daniel, uh, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray. Um, but this, you're talking, at this time, Steve Martin and Chevy Chase were huge. Uh, Steve Martin just had his big comeback with All of Me, and Chevy Chase couldn't have been more popular. He was in uh, three movies the previous year that were all big hits, Spies Like Us, European Vacation, and Fletch. Uh, I think he probably got most of the budget for these. He probably got a good five, eight million dollars at that time. Was Oh, God, yes. I mean, Still probably a pain in the ass to work with, but you couldn't tell. I mean, the way he, the way how, the way he's so funny in some of the scenes, especially when he's like playing the guitar for like the longest time, and then he just does like this little weird, like, kind of like yell like. <laughs> 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 that was oh my gosh! Do you know that it wasn't until oh. a couple years ago that I finally got the balls joke? I, it, I've seen the movie probably 150 times, and I never understood what he was talking about. He goes, "It's a mail plane." You know how you can tell? I don't know. The balls. And I just didn't catch it. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. After almost 30 years, I finally caught the joke. Oh, my God. You silly boy, Michael. You're silly, silly man. After all of our balls jokes in the, uh, throughout the years, you finally get it. 
I know. And we then, have oh a gosh, plethora of ball jokes. Yeah, and who? Oh my gosh, yeah. And let's also talk about the supporting cast, like Alfonso Oro, who plays El Huapo. Yeah, Fred Asparagus as the bartender. Nobody even knows who Fred Asparagus is. It's only because I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> but he's the one that goes Fatimine. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Oh, God, I thought he was hysterical. But, yeah, no, his name was actually Fred Asparagus. That's not even a stage name. Nope. He's just a comedian. And, uh, I think at the time he only done a few movies, but uh, he's mostly known for his stand-up. And then, of course, you have the lovely Patrice Martinez. Oh, my gosh. Holy moly. All the women in this movie are insanely. Oh, yeah, of course. My, ugh. Oh, la, la. She's 50. She's only 53 years old. She probably still looks just as amazing. Yeah, I would totally tap that. I remember her from, you know what I just realized? She was also the receptionist from Beetlejuice, you know? Miss Venezuela. Really? If I knew then, what I, I wouldn't have had my accident. Yeah, that's her. Wow. I had no idea. But, of course, she's under a lot of makeup, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. Oh, she was also in the uh, 1990 uh, Zorro series from, yeah, that ended in 2011. Wow. No, that, there's no way that lasted that long. Is this the one with Duncan Rieger? I'm looking right meow. Right meow? Right meow. Duncan Rieger, yeah. Okay. James Victor. I don't know how it could have possibly been on that long. I think it was only on for a few years on Disney. Um, Duncan Rieger played Dracula in the Monster Squad movie. Oh, my gosh. You'd think he would have that kind of like flavor to him. Yeah. Uh, major stage actor. He doesn't do much now. I think he's more of an artist now. But um, we, next year, next year we're totally discussing Monster Squad. Because if we don't discuss Monster Squad, we should just, kit, uh, just quit now. Just quit. <laughs> then we have another actor who played uh, El Huapo's uh, henchman. He was... Um... Tony Plana. I love Tony Plana. Tony Plana is one of those character actors you saw all the time throughout this era. And each time looked totally different. Uh, he's just one of those like really, really um, well-known character actors. And he always showed up and he always did his job. But this is my favorite role of his, of course. Uh, and I dropped the plethora earlier and I thought I was, I was pitching you that. And you were going, Michael, do you even know what a plethora is? <laughs> and I'd be like, Jacob, you I tell. do not have the intellect or knowledge that you do. <laughs> God damn it, Michael! <laughs> well, you probably have more of knowledge than I would. All right. A plethora. Just FYI, throwing it out there. A plethora. A plethora. The, there's. This is always in my top ten. I mean, this is always a perpetual favorite. But the the way that it became my favorite movie is kind of strange. Uh, I end up getting like severe sore throat. I mean, just a bonkers level where everything was just insane amount of pain. I felt like someone was stabbing me nonstop in the throat. And I went to the doctor and I got put on uh, some anti-inflammatory and some pills or whatever to, to numb the pain. But they made me loopy. They made me like, I feel like I was just high as a kite. And I remember sitting there all drugged up in my room in bed watching Free Amigos. And it was the funniest thing in the world. Now you think the last thing that I would want to do is laugh. Like I would watch a comedy. And yet here I am with a tore up throat. I'm just laughing my ass off. My roommate comes back. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's the best day ever. I love this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. No, I remember. <laughs> I think the one line that. Um, oh gosh. That just uh, that Tony Plana did was like when he's it's El Wapo's birthday and El Wapo today is now thirty two years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't want anyone knowing how old he is, you know, just in case they get the idea of bumping him off. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, my God. But still, I thought it was just pure comedic gold throughout, especially when they have to confront the, th oh, the three amigos actually confront El Wapo. Yeah. And they're like riding around and they actually get shot and they start fake crying. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> Kill only one. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, gosh. I kid you not. I'd say Alfonso Arau was, I guess, uh, I think his, his timing was just perfect. Yeah. Especially at the end. He's a director. He did, um, I want to say it's called Place in the Clouds or something like that with uh, Keanu Reeves. 
he did a few other movies, but uh, like Water for Chocolate, I think. Um, yeah. Mostly known for directing now. Uh, I, he's gotta be. He's gotta be like. Yeah, he is. Oh my god, that, like Water for Chocolate. Oh god, I remember seeing that in English. He's a bad guy in the Wild Bunch. That's the first thing I ever saw him in. That was almost twenty years before wow. Three Amigos, and he was old then. Good lord. My god, he's probably he probably he probably still looks good for his age. Hey, Jacob. <laughs> yes. It's music oh, and he's break. also in romantic. It's song break. <laughs> okay. Especially when uh, Albert Despair gets like, when he starts singing that little part, sweet little buttercup. <laughs> it was. It that was. part gets me every time. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, you, okay. you have no idea why these, they're in this bar with like the roughest, toughest guys in, in the entire of all of Mexico. They're all here. And um, they have just met the Germans, who they mocked, and then they basically just blew away a bunch of them. So now they're afraid of whoever else is a stranger. And the three amigos pop in looking ridiculous, just like, you know, they're they're silent cowboy uh, movie heroes. You know, they they dress really uh, you know, fancy and, and eye appealing to the ladies. You know, safe and friendly. And uh, they're all terrified of them because even though they're breaking out this song number, they're almost certainly being shot anytime soon. Oh God, I know. <laughs> so, so it's like they say one thing or mention one thing, then they just well, <laughs> then everything's just going straight to hell. Everybody's gonna die. He's gonna lose business. <laughs> Uh. You know, this is a parody of The Magnificent Seven. Not a lot of people realize that. But it's one of those things where um, it takes that kind of plot of the hired gun to small Mexican town or whatever to, to protect them. And it just, what, what happens if they hire enough boobs? You know, guys who have no idea what they're doing whatsoever and turning them into heroes. It's a spoof, but the action is really exciting. It's, and it, it's a great twist at the end when they all decide to dress as amigos and confuse the crap out of them. Yeah, no, it was... It was yeah, no, it was very well done, but it's like a shame they had to burn down a whole village. <laughs> yeah, this was yeah, another still... very expensive movie that didn't make a whole lot of cash. $25 million at the time was really expensive. $36 million is the box office, but it blew up on video and HBO because HBO actually co-produced this, so they had the rights, and they played this thing all the time. Oh, my God. It, yeah, I think I remember watching some old family videos. Like when I was a kid, yeah. it was playing in the background. <laughs> like that's how, how that's we funny. love, of course, no complaint. I mean, everybody loved the movie. It was a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, it oh. sucks and it was HBO... right at the part during the Invisible Swordsman. Yeah. Oh, you mean? Uh, I got. I'll bring it up. In the singing here. Bush. Um, but you know, one thing that really bugged me about this is that HBO does not do special features. They just don't. And this is probably one of their most well-known releases. And the Blu-ray comes with like a, a ten-page booklet. And that's it. I think the trailer is the only special special feature. There's no deleted scenes. There's no alternate takes. There's no behind the scenes. There's no commentary track. Are you telling me that John Landis couldn't talk about the movie? He, are you kidding me? That dude loves to talk. And I think HBO is just being a bunch of cheap bastards, and they don't understand that this movie is um, almost more than a cult following. I think it's just one of those that's become part of our uh, culture. You know, a cult movie that's so well known, like Big Trouble in China. 
everybody knows Big Trouble in Little China. It's no longer a cult following. It, it's a it's a mainstream kind of thing now. It's just at the time it didn't make a lot of money. So HBO, that get off your asses, add some special features, do another Blu-ray. Oh, I know. I could definitely. I could. I want this Blu-ray. I really want this Blu-ray. I mean, I, I'm plus. You know, some of my shows are going to be coming back. I want my DVR space, please. <laughs> All right. So this is the scene you were talking about earlier with the scene Bush and the Invisible Swordsman. How can you ask a singing bush if they're the singing bush? could you not figure that out it's so dumb and then of course they do the nope. they, they go here to uh get the invisible swordsman so this is where the movie not only is it just a spoof but it veers off into like fantasy zone it's the most bizarre thing i know that did, that did throw me off i'm like from all the things they did and all of a sudden they find out about this little tale about an invisible swordsman who will help them ca- capture the village <laughs> then they end up killing the guy <laughs> it's all chevy chase's fault yeah ned it's a it's a parody of like the the treasure movies that were going on at the time, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Romance in the Stone and stuff like that, and uh, so it plays on that. It plays on musicals. I mean, it plays on the western. Of course, at the time, the western was kind of dead. Uh, Silverado and Pale Rider had come out the year before, and and they were fairly popular. But a lot of the stuff is just silly because it's so dated and it makes no sense. But they take it and they put it in the shoes of three morons acted beautifully. Martin Short actually doesn't seem to be that stupid. He's just more like an innocent, like naive. Whereas clearly Chevy Chase and Steve Martin's characters are both just absolute morons. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Steve Martin was the smart one of the bunch. But you know who was the voice of that singing bush? No. Good old Randy Newman. Good old Randy Newman. Think about a bush. <laughs> Helping three amigos save the day in the village in Mexico. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's how he sounds. That's I know, it's, I you pulled a Randy Newman impersonation out. I think there's like two people in the world that do a Randy Newman impersonation. You're one of them. You and uh, Will Sardo. I know, like, honestly, I hear his... I know, exactly, that's where I got it from. It was from Toy Story. And then I looked back and I'm like, wow, he had a big career. Yeah. Oh, no, and then one girl. Oh, gosh. There was this... Oh, God, I can't... I wish I knew who it was that kissed... Um, Martin Short. Ned at the end. Holy crap. Ned yeah. Needlelander. I love it at the end when he faces off with the German guy who is, uh, he loved his movies. Little Neddy Niederlander, the fastest gun in the West. And then I noticed that he, uh, that he camera trick photography. He's a fake. And he's like, no, I'm that fast. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and then he actually challenges him and he wins. But he's yeah. like, as soon as he shoots the gun, he like flies oh! back. <laughs> Old fashioned Hollywood gag. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. There's so many one-liners oh, that are so good. Like, uh, I'm going to fill you so full of lead that you use their penis as a <laughs> writing utensil. <laughs> what, what does he mean? I think he means that he Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Who was the other German? Oh, God. The two German friends. Yeah, yeah. One of them was Brian Thompson and Norbert yeah. Weiser. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. No, and the other guy, I don't, I don't know who the other guy is. Um, yeah, Brian Thompson is one of the first things I ever saw him in. Uh, they're very good in it. Uh, 
trading. I don't think there's any other cameos in it, but there's so many funny things. Like um, every time I'm struggling with something, I'm trying to get to it. I'm always like, gonna make it, gonna make it, gonna, gonna make it, gonna make it, no, 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 gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> that chains that scene where he's chained up was like one of the funniest scenes ever. <laughs> he's like trying his hardest just to try to get out of it, and he can't. And but who, oh no, what is it? Joe uh, Montana was like the studio director, head that? of the studios. Oh yeah, Joe oh, Montana. John Lovitz. Uh, uh, who'd and, you say? Phil Hartman and John Lovitz and Joe Montana. Yeah. The Amigos are out of the mansion. <laughs> Get the Amigos clothes. <laughs> oh, what about this? What about this? Call. Call. Look up here. Look up here. Look up here. Look here. Look here. Look here. Oh, my God. Hey, you it's guys. Just... Oh, no. I don't... But when they're out in the desert and they're eating bats and squirrels and they start singing along and there's like a tortoise and all these other animals gathering around them. <laughs> I think that's where uh, Seth MacFarlane got the inspiration for uh, Mean Old Moon in Ted 2. Yeah, I would not doubt that. Uh, speaking of a silly, uh, absurd moment that goes nowhere, the one you mentioned earlier, the Invisible Swordsman. Fire one shot in the air, say the magic chant, and the Invisible Swordsman will appear. Probably some little like little sink platform where they kind of like tug on it as soon as they hear the gunshot. That could be that you know, they pulled it down or whatever. Um, then he drops mm. a hand. Someone had to shoot an air blast in order to get the dust. Maybe the gun was underneath the dirt and it shot the dirt up. That's the only thing I can think of. But it's a brilliant scene. Yeah, no, oh god, <laughs> it still makes me laugh to this day. Yeah, oh god. Well, oh, I know how funny was that. The the uh, all the friggin' horses started to sing along, and then all the animals start to go away. <laughs> uh, still, like I said, all around is brilliant. Yes, it's one of the silly. It's, it's, it takes a great mind to make intense stupidity. You know, this plot, uh, it was repeated quite a bit. I mean, if you look at Galaxy Quest and Tropic Thunder, it's the same plot, just set in a different place. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, you're actually, you're right. You're absolutely right. My God, it is. I mean, they think these people are, like, confused, and they think that, you know, the Galaxy Quest adventures were real, and, you know, and then, of course, with Tropic Thunder... You know, you just got a bunch of, you know, drug lords who think that these guys that are acting in a movie think they're <clears throat> think they're actual soldiers until they realize he's the guy who played Simple, uh, Ben Siller's the guy who played right. Simple Jack. But it's kind of the same <laughs> thing. But all three movies are absolutely fantastic. So if that's what works for a, fo a yeah. film to make it amazing, go ahead. Keep ripping off Three Amigos. We don't care. I know. Hey, you know I mean, you definitely tell there was some influence there. Well, and it was just. Hit the brakes. Now that I think about what? it, what we... wasn't Fright Night there first that he thinks that uh, Charlie Brewster thinks that um, Peter Vincent is a real vampire slayer, and it's kind of the same idea where you take a guy who was famous for a certain thing in, in a, a role and try to bring that into our world. I, I think maybe Fright Night was there first, and, and Three Amigos copied it. Yeah, no, that's the, that's such a weird thing. Like the thing, I mean, I don't know. It just it's just really funny in a. 
Fright Night, how Charlie actually thinks that uh, Peter Vincent's an actual vampire hunter. Yeah, so it's uh, kind of weird that our hero's a little dim. <laughs> oh, oh, no, even in the, oh, gosh, especially in uh, Three Amigos, like, right at the, wa- right at the uh, desert scene, freaking, they're out of, the other two are out of water, yeah. and then Dusty has all this water. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then he just drinks this whole thing, loose. throws the whole canteen, wastes it, and then puts on chapstick. Oh, <laughs> uh, so much uh, getting stupidity right. Because here's the weird thing: is Chevy Chase almost always plays the guy who's wiser than everybody else. That's why he's such a smartass. You know, everybody else is kind of dumb, and he's the one who just kind of gets them with a, a zinger. In this one, completely opposite. He's kind of stupid in this one. He's a little stupid in Three Amigos, or not Three Amigos, uh, Spies Like Us as well. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I, I, of course. I think this. Well, of course, um, Clark Griswold being kind of a bumbly oaf at times in uh, Vacation, but even that, but even so, <clears throat> yeah. in this one, he's just gotten really low on the stupidity level. He's gotten uh, lower. It's like, okay, just think Clark Griswold, but dumber. When he says, he's like, um, you got anything else besides Mexican food? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, gee, I... Oh. I don't think they could ever remake this movie. No, ever. God, I don't even no, no way. Touched. No way. But like, I had an idea. Can we get behind it? There's a movie that I enjoy a great deal, which, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be remade, but if they were going to, I would love to see Grumpy Old Men with Steve Martin in the Jack Lemmon role and Chevy Chase now in the Walter Matthau role. If they can't get Chevy Chase, get Dan Aykroyd. And who should they get? Bernadette Peters? Hell yes. Hell For to the, the yes, because she still looks amazing. Oh my God, yes. Hoy. Or what about Goldie? Okay, I... Goldie could do it. Oh, yeah, she could. She's worked with both of them. Because Goldie was in Seems Like Old Times with Chevy Chase, and she was in House Sitter and The Out of Towners with Steve. Ah, so it's a possibility. Yes. I think they can make it. They're going to make it. I think they can do it. They're going to make it. Gonna be... Oh, my God. Yes, no, it is a possibility. Like I said, that would be great to see. The only remake I liked better than the original is The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Oh, oh well, what about The Blob? The Thing? That too. Those two. All right. Those three are the only remakes that I like more than the original. <laughs> I quite enjoy the new Fright Night. It's not as good as the original, but I really enjoy Oh, it. that too. Four. I, li- I like the, fr- uh, the Friday oh, the 13th, the one from a few years back, um, with the kid from Supernatural. What's his name? Slappy Oh, uh, Jensen Gents- No, not Jensen Eccles. He was in the My Bloody Valentine remake. What is the other guy's name? Jared Pavdecki. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, no. Oh, and it also had uh, Daniel Panabaker from yeah. uh, The Flash. So there are Caitlin some Snow. good remakes. Not everything is terrible, but it does seem like with comedies that they don't get what worked the first time around. No, they didn't. I mean, with Ghostbusters, I mean, well, yeah, it was the kind of comedy you see in that and the original with, you know, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and all them, that was their kind of comedy. They were like, you know, SNL alumni. It's what, it's what made it work. It's what people got to love because, you know, it's how it's how they made people laugh. Yeah. In this one, it was the same it. way. Okay, okay. It was the same way with, you know, how their comedy is with Kristen Wiig and all them. It yeah. worked perfectly. I thought it was... Dude, Kate McKinnon, she took it... She stole the role for me. Yeah, of course, Leslie Jones was great. Don't get me wrong. She had a lot of... She had a lot of shining moments, too. They all did. But Kate McKinnon just fucking steals it. She... I died of laughter every time she was... Whenever she did something ridiculous. Good to know. And we are going to... If you like animation on Back in Tunes every Halloween... We do a couple episodes devoted to more like the Halloweenish stuff. So this 
Halloween, we're going to be discussing Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree, and then we're going to discuss Extreme Ghostbusters. So we'll discuss, uh, hopefully by then I'll be able to see the new Ghostbusters and uh, the original Ghostbusters. Um, that's about it for this episode here. Uh, we did mention Magnificent Seven for a reason, besides the fact that it's kind of a spoof. You know, Three Amigos is a spoof of that series. We are going to be doing our next episode about the Magnificent Seven series, and maybe we'll get to see the new one before uh, we record, and we can discuss that as well. Um, I know I'm game. I hope yeah. the reviews are solid. Uh, you know, I can't imagine Denzel and Chris Pratt read a script that was shit and said, well, let's still do it, you know? Same with Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes, and Ethan Hawke, and uh, the guy's name I can never say right, uh, Cam Gigant, Gigantin? Gigante. Uh, Shaka Khan. Gigante. Shaka Khan. Like Giganta. Come on, everybody. Shaka Khan. Just think Giganta. <laughs> Shaka, Shaka, Shaka Khan. Khan! All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Video Night. Jacob, be excellent to each other. Is that how I did every episode? Be excellent to each other? I think yeah. I'll change it. Yeah, I want to say, yeah. um, um, I'm going to fill you so full of lead you use your dick as a pencil. That's how I'm going to end every episode now. Ow! But I haven't <laughs> had children yet. Wait until I have children first. Okay? We'll prune the hedges I... together. I want, dude. I at least want to get my. I want my genetic legacy to keep going. Okay, so wait till after. Then you can probably do that to my dick. I'll be very hesitant. I'll be very, very hesitant. But still. All right, Jacob. <laughs> send us out. Right. Namaste. Good luck, you guys. Be excellent to each other, just like Michael said. Who the hell are you?